Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Creep Time, the podcast. Um, I just wanted to get on really quick just to address something. So Stu and I wanted to be really transparent and upfront with you guys because we kind of hit like a technical difficulty while we were recording. So we were kind of improvising and, you know, like thinking on our feet. We're like, what can we do? How can we still record the episode? So we ended up doing the entire case. We did a full case for you guys. It's a great episode. It's just going to sound a little bit different, maybe more like a phone call and not like the audio quality that you're used to. So thank you so much for bearing with us. We love you guys for listening. We really want you to enjoy the episode. And we promise next week we are going to be back with the normal audio quality that you're used to. So enjoy. I have to tell you, I don't know what we're doing. I've completely forgotten what comes after (laughs) on your list that you sent me. Well, I hope you're ready to feel freaked out because this story is seriously going to be one of the most unnerving that we've covered on this podcast we've I'm, I'm being dead ass so we've covered a lot of cases on this podcast concerning disappearances there are very few very few that have detailed the disappearance of a group of people except for one which is why this case is commonly referred to as the Diatlov pass of the u.s does that give you a clue <gasps> Oh my god! And you know, I I loved the Diatlov Pass episode. That, yeah, that really freaked me it's out. It's so freaky. Well, for this, I thought it would be good if we covered the unsolved story of what happened to the Yuba County Five. <laughs> Do you know anything about that? Okay, athletes. <laughs> kind of. Okay. Kind of. Well, maybe I'm thinking of a different case. Well, they are they they're basketball they're like intramural basketball players but not like pro okay. athletes i feel like i have seen yuba county five since we launched this podcast mm-hmm. i have seen creepers in the comments asking you to do this so that already i'm like <laughs> i feel like this is a big old episode it's it's really juicy it's truly i went down the rabbit hole while researching this where i just got lost in all of the conspiracies and all just the story itself is unnerving to cover. I'm going to have to do like a a long YouTube video on this or something, but I'm kind of happy that you don't know very much about it, but you've kind of seen it. It did take place in the seventies. So it's one of those cases that has like old lore to it. I feel like cases that sit, the longer they sit, the more like legend they kind of accrue. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It kind of had a resurgence in the last couple of years, this story. So I'm excited to get into it. But before we do, welcome back, everybody, to Creep Time, the podcast with Silas Dean and Stu. We are back for a Friday episode. And we're going to get into some true crime and disappearances. But before we dive in, let us just make sure that if you are not already, please make sure you are subscribed to or following the podcast wherever you listen, because we have new episodes every week and we don't want you to miss them. You can also turn on the bell notification so that every time we drop a surprise episode, we should do more of those. They're fun. <laughs> we should do a, like a double whammy week where we just like pack in two. But we don't want you to miss those either. So make sure that you guys have the bell notification turned on. And if you love us as much as we love you, we would really appreciate a five-star review. I did not mean to make that rhyme. That's so heinous. <laughs> we were talking in riddles. It's okay. It could have been worse because I almost said ding dong after you said the bell notification. And I, I was like, don't say that. It's corny. It can't be helped sometimes. But again, yeah, we would appreciate those five star reviews because we love you. We absolutely do. I sound, This is how I get like a five star review from my Uber driver as a passenger. <laughs> if you love me as much as I love you, you'll do it. 
We really do love you creepers, though. I feel like we really have like such... I don't know you guys as my friends, but I feel like you are. Yeah, I feel... I know that's corny, I but I feel intrinsically connected to that. I know what you mean, though. Like, it's because, I mean, they comment in reviews, but they also comment on Spotify and YouTube. And I was thinking about this last night. It's funny you said that because the fun of these episodes is really after they go live because that's when the conversation starts. And they're just like so interactive, mm-hmm. I feel like. So we we love y'all. Love y'all to bits. <clears throat> and with that... Should we dive in? Let's do it. So I'm going to give you a little top line here just to give you some backstory on some of the boys and what exactly happened with the Yuba County Five. Now, the case refers to the mysterious incident that took place with five men who were from Yuba City, California in 1978. And Yuba City does not sound like a place in California. I never imagined this taking place in Cali. Did you? No. And the well, it's funny you say that. The word Yuba, mm-hmm. I was like, is that... I honestly, it's it's just just a strange word. It is, yeah. <laughs> Yuba. Yuba County. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that. well, it's already going to be interesting just from that word. I don't know where we're going to land. I know. So, it's, okay, California. Yeah, similar setup to Chow Chilla, which also I would not assume takes oh. place in California. <laughs> so let's see. It was a cold February night, and there were five young men who attended a college basketball game in Cal State Chico. All five of the men were ages 24 to 33, and they suffered from mild intellectual and psychological disabilities. But all five of them were considered to be decently functional and more or less somewhat independent adults. On their way back home that night, for an unknown reason, they would take a dark and snowy road into the Plumas National Forest. But the five men would never make it out of the forest. They were immediately reported missing by their families, but no one really knew what happened to them until days later when the car they were driving was found abandoned on the road. No one inside, and eerily enough, it had plenty of gas and appeared to be not only in working condition, but pristine condition, which was odd considering how rough the terrain was. So there wasn't so much as like even dirt on the muffler which just spelled a very strange story for this family and kind of indicated that they almost knew where they were driving, even though that wouldn't have been the case. So if the car was running fine and they had gas, why did the group abandon it? This was the first question of the case that would haunt it for decades as the discovery of the car was only the beginning of just how sinister and eerie this case was really going to get and what they found in those woods. So this is their story. Any initial thoughts right off the bat? You look very, very perplexed and <laughs> inquisitive. Okay, so they're high schoolers and... They're not high schoolers. They... They're they're older no. men. Yeah, they're 24 okay, to 33. Older. Right, okay. And they just were coming back from a game and decided to... They just got... Pull off the side of the road. Yeah, they just got off the, the main road and went into basically a back road path on like a dark forest road that goes into the Plumas National Forest, like really deep. And we don't know why they did that. Obviously, I'm not going to launch into theories, but my first (laughs) thought is like, did they want to like go hang out in the woods and like drink or smoke or something like that? That was kind of where I first was headed with my thought process. But yeah, I mean, well, there were a lot of people who pitched theories like that. They're like, well, maybe it wasn't just as simple as like them getting lost off the road or because it is a very dark highway. They were originally traveling. Maybe they did want to go into the woods, but there's really, I mean, like this is like deep, deep, high elevation, snowy woods. 
no light. So it just didn't make a lot of sense. And it was so cold out that like, why would they go out to the woods to like do anything? You know, it was just very odd and not like them. But this is, I mean, anything that takes place in the woods, I have to say, and I know you feel this way too. There's something unnerving about that. I can't take stories like that. Oh my gosh. The woods are, I guess like the last episode when I was talking about <laughs> like open, vast spaces, yes. the woods are adjacent to that for me. Like, absolutely. It, it is open, vast space, but it has this added layer of like what's around the corner. Mm-hmm. You have no idea what's there. So eerie. I, I feel the same. So let me give you some backstory actually on the actual men. I'll just paint the picture of who they were, uh, go into some descriptions on their age, what they did, and just kind of set this up. So who was included in the Yuba County Five? We have Bill Sterling. I think his name was actually William, but he just went by Bill. He's 29. We have Jack Hewitt, who's 24. There's Ted Wire, who's 32. Jack Madruga, who's 30. And there's Gary Mathias, who's 25. Now, all five of them, they were friends, and all five were massive, massive fans of basketball. So this night that they went missing was the night that they attended this, like, Chico State game. And then the next day, they themselves were going to be, like, playing in a basketball game back home. So they all played on this team called the Gateway Gators. This was, like, an extracurricular activity as part of the Gateway Center program which was designed to help adults who need to like foster community and maybe learn a trade, something that could help them overcome what their parents and doctors seem to be intellectual disabilities or delays. So it should be noted that the way they were effectively viewed and treated by their families was as if they were teenagers. So they're, they're kind of like some of them are entrusted on a certain level with independence. And again, all of the men being in their twenties and thirties, they do still live at home for now which in part is kind of how everybody learned so quickly that the boys were missing because on that february night when everyone was expecting them to come home very late they just never showed and these parents were left up waiting so let's first talk about who we believe was driving the car when it disappears on the back road it would be jack madruga age 30 so he's driving everyone in his prized possession his 1960 mercury which was also interesting that a car that he cared so deeply about he would unexpectedly take on some very rough terrain. But again, it wasn't really damaged or dirty. So clearly whoever was driving it was very careful or they knew the roads well. So Jack was most recently working as a dishwasher for a fruit company, but his parents would later note that due to his delays, it was difficult for him to keep a job, but he was very meticulous about the things that he owned and keeping his finances in order. He is the best friend to William, or Bill Sterling, age 29. And Bill is described as a deeply religious person, spent most of his free time volunteering to read to patients at a mental health facility at the time. And he himself was considered mildly delayed in his parents' words. And then we also have Ted Wire. He is the eldest at 32. He was described as kind of close to everybody in the group. He really, like, is the through line and tethers everyone. But his family often spoke about him in that he lacked basic common sense, in their words. He would often act um, very frivolous with money that he earned. For example, I think his brother mentioned a story later on where he spent, like, $100 on pencils one time. Hmm. He, at the time, had also recently been working. He was working as a janitor as well as a clerk at a snack bar. 
but he was recently urged to quit by his family as they described that he was causing problems. And I don't know what that means, but that was what they said in the 70s. And then we also have our fourth boy here. That's Jack Hewitt. He was the youngest at 24. He, I believe, was considered the most intellectually disabled of the group by, and by his family. So in their own words, he would just struggle with very basic tasks. He couldn't really dial numbers on a phone or remember like key details about his address. Um, but he often stuck by Ted Wire, the eldest, who had kind of like taken him under his wing as like a big brother because they struggled with similar issues, similar delays. And after that, it brings us to our final name, which is Gary Mathias, 25. Gary is a bit of an anomaly to this group because he actually doesn't suffer from any of the described intellectual disabilities, but rather a history of severe mental health problems. So the most notable being a serious but controlled case of schizophrenia. It's weird we were talking about schizophrenia before we jumped on. Yeah. But he... he, had a bad spat with this in the past and then was discharged from the army, I believe, when he was younger. So that is the context on everybody in the group and kind of what the dynamic is loosely. And it should also be noted that Jack and Gary were the two boys of the five, the only two who possessed a driver's license. And they kind of seemed to be the only two who were like entrusted to chaperone the trip out to Chico, if you know what I mean. That's interesting you mentioned that. That was going to be one of the things I asked, like how their development uh, intellectually or emotionally Mm -hmm. had it stunted any of them to the point that like they weren't driving or um, so that's interesting. So it's like the two it's Jack and Gary, I guess they're kind of the younger ones. And then the other three are actually like 32 they they seem older. Uh, well, there's there's one. The youngest one I think is considered the most delayed. Um, that would be Jack Hewitt. He's 24, and then Gary is the second youngest. He's 25. So you're right. Uh, and like I said, he doesn't suffer from any sort of delays as described. And then the other Jack, Jack Madruga. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, okay. he he is the other person who has a license, and he I think is just described as very very mildly intellectually disabled. And was he the second one you covered? I think so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was like, honey, I am foggy today. <laughs> I beg. <laughs> well, I was no, I am I was trying to keep track of all five as you were going through. So I was like, okay. I was like, Bill, same here. Jack. Same here, sister. <laughs> I can barely Bill, get through a sentence Jack. right now. <laughs> okay. Wait, so we have Bill, we have Jack, mm-hmm. we have what was the third one? There's thing? Bill. There's two Jacks. There's Jack Madruga and Jack Hewitt. And then there's Ted Wire. Ted Wire. And then we have Gary. I'm forgetting one. Matthias. That's Gary. Gary Matthias. Yeah. Okay. I, guess, I think that was it. Yeah. So, Bill, Jack, Ted, Jack, and then Gary. That's everybody. Okay. Gotcha. I'm struggling to count. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think it's helpful for the five. I'm like already kind of mapping out like their ages and mm. their development and like they're from the, the sentence you just described, like kind of trying to gauge their personality. Yeah. I mean, you um, get a, somewhat of a sense for like the group and at least like who, who were considered like the chaperones of this trip, who were the leaders and they were a tight group. I mean, they were close with each other because again, they were on that basketball team together. They relied on each other. And from everything I, I read about, they were really good people, you know, like really like stand up kids so it's just all that more mysterious to think about what really went wrong here on that road late at night. So I was going to dive into the actual story, but before I do any other questions on the group dynamic or like any thoughts to share. 
<laughs> You're like, any other questions? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure I have an answer. 2130. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for, Honestly, I got to mark that down, actually. Thank me- you. <laughs> My memory was just like foggy as we were going through it. So I was like, okay, <laughs> Stu, get it together. Map it out. Who are the Yuba County Five? I mean, the, you really don't have to know specifically who each of them are just yet for this part of the story, I would say. Because we'll get into it a little bit later. But I would say the one to yeah. pay attention to would be Gary Mathias. Because, again, he is the okay. anomaly of the group because he doesn't suffer from any of the delays described. But he is also the only person of the Yuba County Five who has never been found. Whoa. Yeah. So this this takes quite the turn. So let's get into what exactly happened on the night of February 24th. Before I do, I should cough. Hold on. <coughs> Choke again on this podcast. <laughs> so let's see. We got the Chico State game, which ended, and all five of the boys reportedly got into Jack Madruga's car. It's the 1960 Mercury, and they started to make their way back to Yuba County to get home. So this is, like, roughly an hour away, like, give or take. Um, And they're going to be driving, like, pretty late into the night. So right after the game ended and they got into the car, witnesses then saw them head over to the local convenience store. This was known as Bears, and they go in, I think, just after 10 p.m. So the boys came in, and they're purchasing snacks for the road. They got, like, Hostess cherry pies, lemon pies, Snickers couple of Pepsis, and they also got milk, which must be, that has to be a reflection of the time. Like, I couldn't imagine anybody just, like, picking up milk for, like, a road trip drink. Okay, sidebar, were you a milk at dinner, kid? Of course, still am. Okay. Still am. Honestly, <laughs> when people, when people, like, just scoff at the idea that I had milk at dinner, I'm like, they were, they were, they were building a, you know, broad-shouldered, <laughs> stocky gal, Okay. <laughs> Stop. I think it contributed to my development. <laughs> I, I mean, I listen, I think it's the sole reason I'm not lactose intolerant to this day. I know. Like, I, I still drink milk, and I'm the only person I know who does and can. Justice for milk Ju- I mean, at dinner. <laughs> Creepers, we just wanted to say, this podcast is sponsored today by GotMilk.com. Make sure to grab your glass of 2% tonight. <laughs> Y'all can't see it, but Silas has a milk mustache as we're doing this entire episode. Yeah, I was waiting for this moment. I was just hoping we would get around to this part. (laughs) Now, let's talk about this last witness. So one of the last witnesses who would see them was actually the store clerk who was trying to close up shop. And he's he's kind of annoyed because it's 10 o'clock and all five of these boys just walked in. They're taking a really long time in the store because they're figuring out like what they're going to get, who's going to pay for it and whatnot. So he just remembered being annoyed with them but it's chilling to think that this interaction that he had with all five of the boys would mark the last moment where they were ever seen alive before they went into those woods so the clerk witnessed them get back into their car they drive off presumably you know heading home back down to yuba but something strange happened that no one can fully explain now it would have made sense like i said before if the boys just got onto like Highway 99 and they were going south and they would stay on that all the way through until they were going to get to Yuba. But for some reason, when they hit this like area right off near Oroville, there was something strange that happened. They left the main road. They took a detour into the woods and we don't know why they did this. So I'm going to describe like what this road is like because the highway itself is dark. It's like not well lit so it's unnerving enough to be driving on pavement 
through pitch black. But when they take this path into the woods, it's dark, dark, and it's rough terrain. And eventually it's snowing because they go up high enough in elevation. So they drove along this road all the way through the Plumas National Forest until the road ended. And then they divert and they take another path onto a dirt road, which is much harder on the car. And we don't know why they did this. We don't know where they thought they were going. Now, at this point, we don't know why this happened either. They stopped the car on this path. All five of them got out of the car, walked into the snowy, dark forest, and they would never be seen alive again. And eerily, just by chance, you would think that there is absolutely nobody who could have possibly seen this happen in this moment. There is a witness out there in those woods, which is, isn't that nuts? I read that and I was like, what could be the chances of somebody being out in those woods around like, because this is like a couple hours into their drive. Like it's midnight. The chances of that, my God. What was it like a person that was like living out in the woods? No, no, it's actually the story is so much more insidious. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, So let's see. It's a man in the woods. His name was Joseph Shones. Now Joseph, he's an older guy and so he was out earlier that night, like around like 5, 5.30, because he was like scoping out some of the back roads of the Plumas National Forest because he was going to take a trip with his family. But his Volkswagen got stuck in a snowbank. So he got out and he actually tried to push it himself. The guy ends up giving himself a heart attack in the woods. <gasps> the worst possible scenario. He lives. He's fine. So he crawled back into the car just to stay warm. And he's like agonizing through the pain. And just trying to figure out, what am I going to do? Because it's 1978. I mean, no cell phones. And to this day, from what I read on Reddit, to this day, it is rural out there. There is no cell reception even now. So over the next few hours, he's sitting in this car. There's a couple of lifelines that come through the woods. One being two sets of headlights that he described seeing in the distance. Two. Remember that, because it's freaky as hell. So he got out of the car, you know, trying to like, scream and like flag whoever was out there down and he described seeing shadows of people through the woods which he thought was like a man a woman and a child which is freaky in and of itself and then as he's screaming both headlights get turned off so he doesn't know what to do he gets back in the car another couple hours pass and then again he has another lifeline believe it or not he sees shadows and figures again in the distance of the woods with flashlights so he gets out and he's calling out again he's like help help me but they're like way too far like they're either not noticing him or they can't hear him or they're spooked so eventually his car runs out of gas this guy this witness so he's like i just have to get out and like start walking after he had a heart attack so he just he just like treks through eight miles of the woods because he's gonna like try to find a safety lodge or something but while he's doing so he sees the abandoned car in that direction, the 1960 Mercury. So he was inadvertently probably one of the last people to see the Yuba County Five as they were disappearing in real time. Is that not insane? (laughs) That's crazy. And so we think that those headlights that he saw, we think that that's the 1960 Mercury that he saw? It's unsure. Well, here's the thing. His story is mostly credible we would say but also he was experiencing a medical emergency so some people are like maybe he hallucinated something but he very distinctly remembered seeing two sets of headlights 
two cars, which hmm. is really important for the theories on this. Okay. But it is largely believed since he walked in that direction and eventually stumbled upon the car, which was later confirmed, that what he saw was them. So, and just for the record, he did live. He was fine. He, like, ended up getting to, like, he found a lodge that was, like, eight miles away, ends up getting medical treatment. He's fine. But he never, like, made note of the random mercury because, like, it wasn't relevant. He was just like, oh, it's, like, somebody's car. But it was incredibly valuable for piecing this story together later on. Of course. Oh, my gosh. The chances of that are, like, one in a million. That's crazy. So I should probably talk about what happens a little later this night when the boys never come home. So by early morning, the mother of Ted Wire and William Sterling were in contact with police to report their sons as missing, as it was completely out of character for every single one of these boys not to return home. So it just spelled out something very sinister for the family that there was something, something very wrong here. It just wasn't as simple as assuming, like, kind of like what you were hinting at before, that maybe they, like, stayed out. Maybe they got up, like, a hotel in Chico for the night or something. Like, it was abnormal because of, you know, who they were as a collective. But also, Mm -hmm. they had a basketball game in the morning back in Yuba. And they were all excited about it because they had laid out their clothes the night before. So that, like, when they got home late, they weren't going to have to worry about getting anything, like, ready and set up for the next day. So the families feared the worst. Now, if we fast forward a few days later, let's see, we're going to shift over to Tuesday morning. There's a forest ranger who spots the vehicle near the woods. Now, this is important, like the the first clue that's really important here because it's really, really deep into the forest. Like it's actually two and a half hours away from where the basketball game was in Chico. And like I said, Chico to Yuba is only like an hour drive. So they were like, going so deep for whatever reason we don't know so they find the car it's very normal it's in working condition which is shocking um and it's clean it's like completely free of debris from underneath like there are no dents or anything nothing on the muffler there's nothing to like really explain why they were driving through the woods and how careful they were on these roads and you know it was found that all of the doors were unlocked and there was a window rolled down on the driver's side, despite how cold it was. Hmm. The floors were covered in wrappers, everything from the boys, and there was no sign of struggle or blood found inside the vehicle. They then look at the the gas tank and they're like, well, the car must have run out of gas. Had more than a quarter of a tank. Absolutely could have kept driving. They did not. So they just couldn't figure out why they would walk away from a car that was fine. There wasn't anything to suggest it wasn't operational. So the news of this eerie discovery and the five missing boys becomes a national headline because nobody could figure out what happened to them that night or where they went. So a search team was assembled to go look through the woods, but this became really difficult in the beginning because it was like a very harsh time of the winter and they're really high up in the elevation. And there was a storm coming in by Sunday, which effectively halted the search efforts for the boys out there. And it's considered to this day to be like one of the big pitfalls of the case. And I don't want to do this right off the bat because I don't want to like default to being like it's county police. But I mean, they leave <laughs> me with no choice. Like, why are default why, default <laughs> hit the default button? Why are we halting us? You know what I mean? They're like, why are we halting a search effort yeah. after like a couple of days? Like, it already took a week to find the car itself. So you've already lost some precious time there. But it's very possible. 
And we would later learn it was possible that these boys were out there all that time. I feel like what we've learned about whenever County does this is that they're trying to like get ahead of however they're going to like spin it for themselves. I know that sounds bad, but or or they're just trying to get all their ducks in a row. No, that's real. So that they don't look bad. And I, it always just baffles me every single time because I'm like, if they just went and did the work, people (laughs) would feel so much more, they would, they would have so much more credibility. Mm -hmm. Like tell us the story afterwards. Like, don't try to take your time and get your ducks in a row to like create a narrative that's going to work and then go out. Like just do the damn thing. Yeah. I read something on Reddit before we got on that I thought you would love because it was, it was, um, there's always three stories in every true crime case. There's the story police tell the story, the news tells and the story, the locals tell. And I was like, there's a fourth Ooh. is the story creep town tells. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the story creepers Isn't that tell. so good though that is so good and it's the truth no it is well one of them tells the truth i i trust mm-hmm. local credibility i was gonna say all. i trust locals yeah. the most i mean i know things get like spun out of control through the grapevine and it becomes like a game of telephone but the locals know things that you don't read in the papers you know what it is locals know the cause and effect of a lot of what goes down in the community mm. Mm, that's true they i think they understand motive better than anybody really yes yes so interesting this actually it's weird because this is reminding me a lot of dylan parker because if you remember on the very like the second episode we ever did we talked about how police actually are less inclined to solve cases when they take place in cold environments statistically they're less inclined purely because they don't like to be in those environments for prolonged periods of time and why is that, though? Because it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead ass because it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, we need to we need to start a county police Patagonia fund <laughs> and get everybody a damn North Face, and maybe then maybe then we we won't have as much to complain about. Second sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, well, that's kind of like, that is the reasoning that they give for why they halted the search, because they were like, the storm, was just, it just made everything too harsh to actually look for the boys out there. So the families are devastated, and they're sitting in agony, and they would actually, the plan was, okay, we're going to wait until the spring rolls around, and like snow is truly melting, and then we'll pick back up on our efforts. So everything is halted for four months, with these families just sitting there, you know, fearing the worst what? at that point, where they're like, okay, well... No one has no one would survive out in the woods, the wilderness for four months, let alone our children who suffer from intellectual disabilities. So then June came around and that's when things would resume. But there's a discovery that is made in the Plumas National Forest that would shock the entire country. So before I go any further. Is that not I mean, four months is a ridiculous ridiculous amount of time to halt a search for a storm and be like we got to wait till what happened in may could we not start in may like why are we waiting so long how any parent could like sit there for four months and just say yeah that's cool (laughs) is like just that that is such a that's so agonizing and i don't i honestly don't know how they justified that I, i understand that it was cold but 
you have to give the family something. You can't just say, yeah, I mean, this is it's, it's not Mount Everest. I like it's not like you yeah. guys can't put on some boots and a coat and just like go out there with dog. Like, come on. Or like helicopter efforts or something to like search a little yeah, bit. And this was a, this isn't even just one person. It's a group of people missing. And there's a lot of people who've talked about this case on Reddit and they talk about like the difference of the time period. They also talk about like the difference in public perception with people having a stigma against those with mental disabilities that that played a big part into this as to why, why or why not anybody really cared, but it was a big story. So that's what we had so far. And all we had was the car, which again was critical to the case, but then let's get into what they found in June. So we have a group of bikers that would actually go through this forest that summer, and they stopped near an old unoccupied campsite, which was known as Daniel Zink Campground, right near Bucks Lake. Now, I believe, from everything I read, it just sounded like they were kind of, I don't know, taking up the campsite so they could try to use the facilities for, like, the bathroom and, like, get into the service trailer or something like that. So they get to the service trailer, one of them, and as they're walking up to this trailer, they stop because they sense something is wrong. There's a really intense rotting smell that's coming from inside the trailer. That, and they also notice the window is completely shattered from the outside. So they get inside, cautious and curious, and they turn to their left and they look to an area in the corner of the trailer where there's a cot. And on that cot was the body of Ted Wire (gasps) laying there. No. Yes. He was the eldest of the group. So he is covered on that bed, head to toe, wrapped up in bed sheets to keep warm. He had lost 80 pounds from his original reported weight and had grown a full beard. So this indicated by the time the examiner saw the remains that Ted Wire had been alive in those woods for over two months. (gasps) He was also found in the bed without his shoes and his feet were horrifically frostbitten. And the examiner found that he eventually had most likely died from the result of starvation, which felt really, really bizarre. Because inside the service trailer, there was an ample supply of not only supplies to heat the place, like with a full fireplace, there's Kindle, there's matches, but there was enough canned food in there that could have lasted all five of the men for months if they needed. And yet, the majority of this food was left untouched. We should pause there for a second because that is so weird. So bizarre. My eyes were tearing up because I was just envisioning this, this, this like poor soul that I'm, because I almost like feel that even though he knew, obviously, like because they were at the gas station getting Mm -hmm. snacks, like I don't know the extent to which he was underdeveloped emotionally or, um, neurologically but like I almost wonder if at a certain point due to however long he had been out in the woods or Mm. whatever his like mental state was at that point before he discovered the trailer that like by the time they got to the trailer like they didn't know how to take care of themselves like Like, they were already in like decline yeah yeah which is just like two months is like so so desperately sad to imagine like what went down in that trailer it was 19 miles away from where the car was found oh my god i have chills so they find the body in that state and like 
chaos ensues. There is an immediate search that commences to look for further bodies of the boys, where they would eventually find the remains of Sterling and Madruga. So both of these were five miles away from where Ted Wire's body was found in the trailer. So they're just out in the open, these bodies. So inside the pockets of Madruga, they found the keys to his 1960 Mercury and both of these boys. At this point, I mean, they were so severely decomposed and had been kind of scavenged by animals that there was really nothing Mm -hmm. left. They were just bones, um, which made it really difficult, actually impossible to determine the proper cause of death. We don't really know much about them or their connection to the story with Ted as to why they were found separate of him five miles away. So it does kind of feel a bit like Diatla Pass. I can see why people Mm -hmm. associate the two. So just two days later, after the search is continuing, the fourth body would be found of Jack Hewitt. He's a couple of miles east from the service trailer. And he's actually found by his own father because his father was there as part of like the search team. So they first found the clothing of Jack Hewitt kind of scattered on the grounds and then stumbled upon the actual body. In another chilling discovery, not far from his body, they actually, it's actually going in the direction of the trailer, like back that way. They found blankets and flashlights on the ground. These were from the service trailer where Ted Wire's body was found. So... They also found in the service trailer the shoes of Gary Mathias. So that com- no. that completely pivoted everything where the investigators were like, okay, we can assume there was a period of time where Ted Wire, Gary Mathias, and Jack Hewitt all lived together in this trailer, or they were all in this trailer together, which made it even stranger that, again, nobody ate the food or tried to use the heat or even there was a whole closet full of snow clothes which no one utilized. It's hard to believe. Forgive me if I'm jumping the gun. Was this just a random trailer that you think they stumbled upon? Or is there a theory that it was there and they knew it was there? I haven't read anything. There are some conspiracies where people think the person who was most familiar with this area, I think they've mentioned was was Gary. um, Because I think he grew up not too far from it. Um, and the other person I think they've suspected could have known something might have been Jack, um, the driver. Uh, they think, I'm trying to, I'm blanking on his last name now. I just read it. Madruga. Is it Hewitt? Oh, Madruga. Yeah, Madruga, Madruga, the driver. He, I think his father had taken him somewhere close to here when he was younger on a fishing trip. But again, that doesn't, it wouldn't necessarily suggest that they knew the trailer was there. And also it's 19 miles away. I mean, that was a far, far place to travel. Right. And even though that they got there, I mean, just to think that they didn't use any of the supplies for heat, none of the clothes, and ate none of the food is crazy to me. It's it's like actually terrifying. Unless they all kind of slipped into a psychosis from the stress. It's just weird to think that like it would be such a miracle to f- find something like that as you're in the woods and then... Yeah. It makes you wonder kind of like they find the trailer and then is there a not like a battle of like who's kind of in charge or like Mm -hmm. what's going to be utilized. But you kind of like start to wonder like what was the the like not community the like relationship they were starting to build within that trailer like who was kind of in charge like it's just 
very, very fascinating. Very, I can imagine a scenario. Very like Lord of the Flies, like you're saying, like who's going to be the leader? Yeah. Like suddenly when th- I mean, because Gary Mathias is kind of considered the leader of this group. He really chaperones a lot mm-hmm. of these things. So you would assume it might be him. But again, there is a lot of suspicion that he might have been the one who actually perpetuated the entire thing. So because parts of this story make sense, although they're confusing, but there is one detail here that everybody is ignoring until it hits them. Where is Gary Mathias? To this day, his remains have never been found in those woods, which led a lot of people to believe that because he had a history of violent schizophrenia, he could have been the one who actually perpetuated the detour, forced everybody out of the car and into the woods, and then eventually escaped, and that he had prior knowledge, like what you were saying, of where that trailer was. I was I'm gonna I was gonna jump like straight into theories because that's all we have for like the actual story. And there's quite a few theories here, some that spell out innocence for Gary, some that do not. And then there's something really, really interesting about a potential third party that could have been involved here. Go for it. Because I'm I, <laughs> stumped. I am like, I, I can spin something right now in my head mm-hmm. that I'm like leaning towards, but I'm I'm hesitant. I think we so have you, the same thought. So I, I'm going to launch. But I feel like when I get to what I'm thinking of, I think we're going to have the same thought. Yeah. So, well, let's first discuss the initial theory that's discussed here. The motive as to why Gary Mathias would do this this night. So this is a theory that I think was mostly perpetuated at the time by the mother of Jack Madruga because she did not believe it was possible that they could drive all the way up that road as just an honest mistake. Like she knew her son and she was like, the only logical thing here was that they were coaxed into driving there. Because she couldn't, and she also didn't believe that they would just get out of a car that had a, it had gas in it and it was working fine. She was like, why would they drive all the way into the woods and then eventually realize they're lost and then just not turn around? Why would they get out of the car? And what's also strange here is that the window, don't forget the window was rolled down on the driver's side. So we're assuming that Jack Madruga was the one who was driving, but his mother also contests this. And she's like, no, he hates the cold. He would never he would never have driven with the window down, which led some to believe that he wasn't the one driving. Hmm. It could have been Gary. So is it possible that Gary Mathias had actually demanded the keys and then took the wheel, which is what led them off course initially, and then eventually he's the one who forced everybody out of the car? Mm. I could probably get into why we would paint Gary Mathias in this light um, and why he might have a potentially nefarious dynamic to the group. Well, he has, he's like no stranger to problems with the law and issues with his schizophrenia because he was hostile in the past. So there were reports that he was arrested in 1976 because he had a pretty rough episode, but this was around the time that his condition was noted. He was evaluated and it was controlled. He was controlling it with medication. So he hadn't had an episode like that in a long time, but given the circumstances of just how shocking an event this was, um, and maybe if he was becoming increasingly unstable, kind of silently, it's possible that he perpetuated what happened here, as there was, of course, evidence that he was present to the bitter end with all five of these boys. And he left those sneakers in the trailer, 
And then the flashlight and the blanket from the trailer found near the body of Jack Hewitt, which arguably was further. He got further than any of them from the car. But again, the strangest thing here is that Gary himself has never been located. So it's just a big unknown in this case. Do you have any initial like thoughts on that? Because I do have another theory with him later, but I just want to hear your initial gut reaction to that. I mean, I definitely was having like the nefarious feeling as we were talking mm-hmm. about this. Like, honestly, from the first moment you like started to describe him, um, because I just, I, I think what would help me also is to know like just how kind of ahead he was mm-hmm. um, developmentally from these guys, um, because what I keep kind of thinking about is like. If you are kind of one of the benefits, I guess you could say, or not benefits, but hopefully you understand what I mean by being underdeveloped is you don't really have the ability to like, you're not going to like rationalize behavior. Mm -hmm. And so like you're going to like, I think if I understand how it kind of works, if you're underdeveloped, like when something is not correct to you or like not expected, you kind of like immediately react and you're like, no, I don't want to do that. Or like, no, that's not like you don't do what you and I would do, which is like if we're in a situation with a friend and we're like, oh, they really shouldn't be doing that. But we like rationalize because we know them. We love them, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that keeps sticking out to me in this scenario that like maybe Gary kind of forgot that this group probably wasn't going to just like go along for the ride if something wasn't interesting does yeah sense? it does do i sound no, no, that makes to- no that makes total sense to me <laughs> it makes sense to me it's interesting because i've heard most people possibly consider the opposite in that they were very okay. very impressionable and that because gary matthias was considered the leader of the group and that was like the established dynamic from the get-go he would have more sway uh which is why he was entrusted to sort of chaperone these events um, and of course, it, it's varying from like each of the boys because some of them have different disabilities. Some of them have different delays. Um, so I would say some of them are possibly more impressionable or, you know, willing to look to him for guidance than others. But you're taking almost the opposite approach in that the reason they're all kind of found scattered, maybe, or the reason this even happened was from defiance, possibly. Is that what you're thinking? Like maybe defiance, like is defiance is the right type of word, I guess, but like them just kind of knowing immediately, like something isn't correct or like familiar to them. And so it's like, how do I get out of the scenario? Mm. Does that make sense? I think so. I mean, there's, there's a few different ways. But we I can also, slice I'm that. not a psychologist. I have absolutely no, I'm talking <laughs> out of my, you know, we're shooting in the dark. I'm shooting in the dark, but I guess I would think just from, like minimal experience that I've had with some like people that were, uh, you know, underdeveloped in that way that they kind of just, they're a little bit more like reactionary. They're not like so calculated in mm-hmm. terms of like what feels sort of right and what can I rationalize? What It's kind of just like, but again, I am not, I honestly probably sound like a pompous person. <laughs> no, right no, not at no all. Not at all. I'm talking about. Wait, so just to clarify, <laughs> but... <laughs> are you, you're saying this in the context of the other boys or are you saying this in the context of Gary himself? The other boys. Gotcha. Like okay. if Gary was like, okay, we're going to go do this thing and I'm going to put you guys like out in the woods. It's going to be cold that they might be like, mm-hmm. okay. And then the second they get out there, they're like, wait, no, this isn't safe. This is not my happy They can place. sense something is wrong. 
Yeah. Interesting. I can de- I can definitely see now that you've spelled it out like that, I can see a scenario where it goes either way. And I can see how either scenario from like from what I'm thinking, my other theory on this, I can see how yeah. both could spell but that disaster. could also very well be it. Yeah. Well, maybe I should talk about the possibility. This is another theory that I found talking about what else could have gone down in those woods that I had not considered. So let's go back to the guy, our one witness here, Joseph, (laughs) the guy who had the heart attack, because he's really the only clue into like what could have gone down out there. So remember, he stumbled upon the car, but he also talked about a couple of things that he saw in the woods that night. The first thing to note is that I said before, he saw two sets of headlights at one point, and he saw people on foot, people who did not acknowledge him. So he thought he was really like too far away to like really make out what he was seeing. But some of the first details that he thought he could make out was that he saw a man, a woman, and a baby on foot in the woods, screamed out to them. And that's when the headlights on the two cars got turned off. And then eventually he heads in the direction of that way, where he would later find the 1960 Mercury. So this led some to believe that the boys hadn't gotten lost, but they were traveling when they were traveling. Or maybe they, okay, so there's two different versions we can piece this together. Maybe they got lost and then were traveling through the Plumas National Forest. They witnessed something going on in those woods that night that they were not supposed to. And then they were pursued, made to exit their car, and then chaos ensued. Or... This is what I was saying before. Something happened when they weren't even in the forest. It was on the highway, like Highway 99. They saw something they weren't supposed to see and then were pursued and made to drive into the forest and then made to get out of their car. The, oh. I mean, the reason this felt credible was because of that witness statement from Joseph. I mean, the guy having the heart attack, It all of it, it was just... Odd. The whole circumstance was odd. And I know the heart attack kind of etches this into like he could have been hallucinating. Maybe he wasn't entirely sure what he's seen. And his story has slightly changed, I think, over the years that he's told it. But surely, surely, whoever was out there, whether it was the boys or whether it was this random group of people, the husband, wife, or the man, the woman, and the child, they would have heard those screams but they decided to just ignore them and turn the lights off to intentionally disguise themselves in the dark. That's strange. I mean, we, we should even talk about the possibility of a man, a woman and a baby out in the middle of the woods on foot at midnight. That's weird. So what you're describing is potentially like a weird kind of road rage scenario where someone was trying to drive them off the road or like just mess with them. Okay. I mean, that kind of, that could really scare like that group at at late at night and they're trying to get home. Like I could see a a scenario where they're being run off the road and they like pull over and Mm. then they're spooked already. And then some man is screaming at them and they're like, Oh my God, turn off the headlights. Like what the hell is that? Like, you know what I'm saying? I could totally see that happening. I I can absolutely picture that. Well, so are you thinking that maybe they had like a road rage incident back on Highway 99 before they went into the forest and then they were followed into the forest? Is that what you're saying? Or like maybe they were just spooked and they were like, let's just like get out of the car for a second. And like, what if they're still after us or something? I don't know. Mm -hmm. So I'm still having trouble deciding like why they would get out of the car. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, it's for no known reason. It either happened 
the th- here's the thing I will say about it. It either happened from someone's doing inside the car where someone made everybody get out or there was someone who pursued them on the outside who convinced all of them to get out. Yeah. I mean, because I can't really imagine unless, I mean, I saw somebody on Reddit say maybe they all like just pulled over for a second for a bathroom break. And I was like, listen, nobody is driving two and a half hours away from Chico, like over an hour into the woods up a dirt path to then just stop a car and take a bathroom break. You know, why were they there in the first place is the really big question. Yeah, that's right. What do you make of, you know what I keep thinking? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say the window being down. Mm. Do we think they were smoking something or like the driver was smoking? Like there was nothing that was ever found. That was that was pretty explicit. They never okay. found any sort of paraphernalia. It's possible they took it with them. But again, even on the bodies and the clothes that were found in those woods, they still never found anything. Mm-hmm. From everything that was described, I think that was mostly ruled out as possible because it, it just was not like that. It was also a question of where they would get it unless it was from maybe Gary Mathias. But the window down is strange. That is strange. Maybe they rolled it down to talk to somebody, I was thinking. I'm trying to piece together mm-hmm. the two separate sets of headlights, you know? Because that, to me, yeah. is a bizarre red herring here where I'm like, who would that other car be? Right. Who would be out there? with Like, the chances of another... It, let's say it wasn't even them. Let's say it was just two other random cars. What were those cars doing out there? The whole thing is strange. What do you think about know. those headlights? Do you think there's anything to it? I mean, like, do you think there's a scenario where they went to that convenience store and they were goofing off Mm -hmm. and somebody decided to, like, follow them to mess with them? That's totally possible. Yeah. I mean, I even read theories. I won't pitch this because, again, everybody's going to say I'm coming for county. But there was some theory that, like, they had (laughs) pissed off, like, local county back in Chico or something. Mm -hmm. So it was that scenario where it's like they were getting followed out and then eventually tried to, like, lose them, went into the woods and they got followed into the woods and then panicked and just fled their car i don't know the thing that is like the red herring for me is that i just don't know why they got out of the car like and went into the woods in those conditions i well maybe i should shift into the next theory because i actually would tether this back to gary because i think he may have had more collective sway with the group than we're anticipating and i think he could have been the reason they got out So let's talk about, let's see, I want to talk about the highway itself, because for this stretch, it's relatively straightforward. Like, it's very dark, but it is a straight shot going from Chico down back to, like, Yuba County. But there is an intersection that is kind of confusing in the dark. This is the intersection where they turned in Oroville, where they actually entered into the forest. So I understand they could have gotten confused. It's possible they were simply lost maybe and then at some point in the forest they thought there would be like a turnoff and then because it was dark and you know they weren't entirely sure where they were but they just kept hoping they were going to see a sign but then it just became dire because the road literally ran out and they're they're just realized we don't know where we are and then maybe they got on a dirt road thinking there could be an outlet somewhere and they just weren't thinking sensically but let's actually talk about what might have prompted them once they got out of the car. I'm going to I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say they get lost. They're really, really deep into those woods. They're not thinking straight. And instead of just turning around, it seemed more logical to them to go up the dirt road, hoping that it could lead to an outlet or something. 
but then there's arguing going on inside the car, maybe between the driver, Jack, and Gary Mathias, who's trying to reason with them. And they decide, let's just pull over and get our thoughts together and think about what we're going to do, set up a plan. They get out of the car, and they're already a little on edge. Once they get out of the car, they hear some man in the woods screaming from a heart attack. They have no idea what it is. They get spooked to hell. And then a couple of them take off into the woods and the others try to follow them. But they lose each other because it's pitch black in the woods. Ooh, that's something. Mm. When I was like running this through like the scenario in my mind, I'm like, that that hits my gut in a way where I'm like, that feels right. That feels like what happened. Yeah, it feels so what people like our like our age would do or like younger mm-hmm. like in our 20s that we're like staying around like trying to figure something out we're already either panicked or we know we've been goofing off and then all of a sudden we hear some like bonker sound coming from a place that's already unknown mm-hmm. and we all just kind of like scattered like i can totally see that scenario absolutely especially like if it was like a couple of the younger guys maybe who like ran off into the woods or I'm thinking about actually maybe it's talk about the ones who were separated and then were found separated because they were five miles away from the trailer. So that would have been, that would have been Jack the driver. And it also would have been, oh, who was the other one? I'm forgetting. Gary, Jack, Oh, Ted, Ted wire was in the trailer. Who am I forgetting? Do you remember? There's Bill, Jack, it was Bill. That's Ted, who it was, Bill. Jack and, yeah, Gary. Bill and yeah, <laughs> Bill and Jack uh, were found separate. So it's possible, maybe Bill took off into the woods, and maybe Jack went after him, or vice versa, and they got separated. And then Gary went into the woods. The other two followed Ted and the other Jack, trying to find them. But it's pitch black; they're too far. And then eventually, they're lost in the woods and can't find their way back to the car. And they just start walking and eventually take shelter in that trailer. That's a scenario that I can see. Mm-hmm. So in that case, it really doesn't spell anything sinister for Gary. It kind of sounds like he was the one trying to keep everybody together and solve the situation, which is devastating because they were alive for months. So if that search had continued, at least three of them probably would have been found alive. That's... Oh my god, that makes me so angry for their families. I know. I know. Um, I'm surprised. I actually don't know if they got a settlement, but they should be entitled to one. Truly, totally. Especially just because, like, they already all kind of were like starting from a mental state that's like not probably equipped to handle that kind of stress. And yeah. poor things. Like towards the end, like I'm sure they were just freaking out trying to make sense of like what was going on yeah that's that's the thought is that they had experienced so much stress and this was such an abnormal Mm. situation for them that their their mental state was just on a rapid decline and then they weren't making sense or things became really illogical to them they were dealing with circumstances they've never dealt with before and probably couldn't navigate and there was really just one of them i mean it would be gary who could kind of steer the ship there but it's also possible that he was, you know, going into a bit of a state as well because he does have mental health issues. Totally. And it's very possible this could have triggered something for him. But that actually bleeds into the next and final theory. So keep this in mind, what we just talked about, because it I know how it's like hitting and it feels kind of right. This also felt really plausible to me. So I want to get your opinion on this. So 
I found some reports because I went really deep on this one. I was going through like Reddit. I was like asking locals, like I was trying to piece this thing together. There were some reports that were made public from Gary Mathias's family because they realized after he had disappeared that for a bit of time, he had stopped taking his schizophrenia medication privately. And he was doing this in preparation for the basketball game that was coming up, whether he thought that was going to like help his performance or like keep his head really clear. It's not certain, but he went off his schizophrenia medication, cold turkey. That's really important for the setup here. So the thought is that on the way back, he possibly experienced an episode of schizophrenic paranoia and claimed they were being followed. Now, because he was the leader of the group, it's possible that he said this out loud and convinced the other boys and they all bought into it because it scared them. And he got them to turn off at Oroville and try to lose who was following them, even though it was no one. And they just kept driving further and further into the woods. So they drive off the road. They go into the Palumas National Forest. And eventually, Gary just makes them panic and says, we have to get out of the car. We have to lose them. And they get out of the car. And then once they get out of the car, they happen to hear that man having the heart attack. And that solidifies it for everybody. There is really someone out there who's after them. And they panic, Gary included, and they just start sprinting. What a series of timely, unfortunate events if that happened. I know. I know. Because it would just, there could have been like one or two of them maybe who was like, Gary, I think you're having an episode. But to hear an external noise of a man screaming nearby in those woods, yeah, that would sink it for everybody. And there would be no coming back. How does that say? How does that feel? Yeah, I mean, that sounds totally plausible. It would just be such a, like, just the domino effect of, like, one kind of bad thing. Mm-hmm. And then it all just, like, like the guy being there and screaming right at the, like, having that be, like, the inciting incident that set this whole thing yeah. really into the danger zone is so sad and terrifying to think about but i mean it could have definitely happened it's 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 really firm for me i feel something like that happened i think it it must have been that they were either being followed or they thought they were being followed which was why they went deep into those woods and i think inevitably what happened was what we were thinking before they either got out of the car because they were like we're lost let's pull over let's get out and like figure out a plan they're arguing or they pulled over because gary is like freaking out and they're trying to calm him down. But the second they get out, that whole situation happens with the scream. And they just, like, they, they lose it. They're gone. And I wonder if I could kind of explain, this is a stretch, but, like, the window being down, like, maybe he was like, I need air. I need to, like, get out of here. Yeah. yeah. It's totally, yeah. Ooh. Or maybe, oh, I just thought of something, too. Ma- okay, okay. They're driving, they're driving, and... Jack, the driver, is trying to, like, keep everything calm in the car because Gary is going berserk and all the other boys are getting worked up in the back because they fully believe what he's saying. They're being pursued. They're panicking. They're screaming. And then at a certain point, Gary is saying, stop the car, stop the car. I'm going to get out. I'm going to get out in the woods. So he forces Jack to stop the car, gets out. Jack rolls down the window to start yelling at him to get back in the car. But Gary is already walking off. So then Jack gets out of the car to go pursue him. 
But then everybody hears through the window the scream from the distance. And they just get out and start running. They said, someone is after oh, us. Oh, my gosh. Car. I mean, I can see that. It's playing in I my head like that. a movie. Yes, same. The big question, though, is, so what happens after that? I mean, because that all tracks and makes sense, but we still have the unanswered questions of why they didn't utilize any of the resources in that trailer unless they were truly, truly all like completely in decline and just weren't thinking logically. But also, where is Gary? Where did he Mm go? I'm sorry to like leave it on you where I'm like, Stu, where is he? (laughs) (laughs) Solve the mystery. Um, What I will say Mm -hmm. as we reach the end of the theories is that I've moved away from thinking thinking of him as a nefarious character Mm -hmm. only because I still don't understand what his like motive would be for doing all of this. Like, even though he, it, it just doesn't seem like he would like do this just to like mess with these guys. Like they seem close. They have a game the next day. Mm-hmm. Like it definitely feels like it veers more into psychotic break territory than it does like trying to mess with them. Well, one could have informed the other. I mean, if he was having experiencing thoughts of paranoia, he could have very well thought the boys were against him or were conspiring against him. So he's like mm, silently that's plotting. True. But I see, I, I also agree with you. I really don't know that I feel Gary Mathias was intentionally trying to make any of this happen. He doesn't, I mean, he had a history of like severe episodes, which he was arrested for years prior and was discharged for. But he inherently does not seem like a nefarious person from those who knew him, even if he was experiencing an episode, I think it's more likely that he thought, really, really thought they were being followed and was scared. And then it's like, if they didn't use the resources in the trailer Mm -hmm. and it was because he, it was like a Lord of the Flies situation. Like, I just don't, I don't see that happening. Cause like, I just don't know why you would want to keep that up for so long. That would be so intense for you too. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to do more research on it, but I know people can get into like schizophrenic episodes and kind of detach from reality for prolonged periods of time. So if you're saying like Lord of the Flies, it could have been like, yeah, they all made it to the trailer, but maybe it was something where he wasn't allowing them to eat or like maybe he was like running running the show in there, which is even sadder to think (sighs) about. Oh, I don't want to think that's what happened. Oh. For two Gosh. months, two months they were suspected to have been in there, we think. I mean, it's either assumed that Gary, Ted, and the other Jack were all in that trailer until Ted died, or Ted was so, like, ill and weak that Gary maybe came to his senses with Jack eventually, like, snapped out of the episode and was like, we have to leave on foot, and we have to go try to find help. But even so, still did not take snow gear and i don't i don't think you would have an episode for like two whole months no i don't think so either i could see days maybe like you could be manic and like detached for like days to weeks but eventually i think you would subside (sighs) i just don't know it is odd that his shoes were found in there though he was absolutely there 
That's so weird. Is this anything like you expected? Honestly, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> you were like, they were athletes, really... weren't they? And I was like, you're thinking of a different story, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I definitely was thinking of a different story. Um, wh- Like, when you said this is like the Love Pass mm-hmm. of the U.S., I was like, whoa, like, that is not at all what I was envisioning. Um, wow, this is... Yeah. It's just very confusing even to this day. And we're never, I don't know that we'll ever really know what happened. Maybe if one day they find Gary's remains somewhere. But again, they did pick up search efforts after this and they never, ever found him in those woods. No sign of where he went. Did people think he lived for a long time after this? Like, were there people that thought he was just alive roaming among us? Oh, totally. Well, because originally the media had painted this as like a very insidious story that Gary Mathias had these like deep, like deep-seated plans and hatred to, like, plot against his friends. So he, like, conspired for the whole thing, got everybody out there, and then just left them and got away somewhere and was still living with everybody. I don't know that's that's what happened. It's just like, but what would that... Yeah. I mean, I understand, I guess, if you're mentally prone to violence or whatever, mm-hmm. but, like, what what in the world would your motive be there? Like, other than, I guess, to have power over some people for a little bit? And It could be over something as minimal as, like, be... a weird, like, fight between the friend group and the pat. Like, you have yeah, no idea what yeah. your mind does, I guess, when you're in that state, maybe. Hmm. What do you think about the two sets of headlights though do you think that was something the guy envisioned or like hallucinated rather or do you think that was legit because that is still kind of unexplained to me and i want to know what the hell that was about i mean has it ever occurred to anybody that it could have been the car was there the lights were on they turned them off and then they turned them back on i think he described it as seeing two sets of headlights at the same time on and when he started screaming out they turned off. I think it's possible he was like in and out of it and seeing double maybe, which I know sounds funny and ridiculous, but could, could be. No, it doesn't. Cause like, like what you're describing sounds like two, like two vehicles. Yes. Okay. And like, that just seems so, but they're in such a rural area. That's why it's weird. Because the chances of not only those boys being out there and this random guy who had the heart attack being out there, but also that third party being out there, bizarre. And and there's no trace of a third party is also kind of the weird thing. Yeah. We have no, like, you know. Nobody else who came forward who was like, I was also yeah. in the woods that night. But I can assume if what yeah. he saw was real, he saw a, a man, a woman, and a baby on foot in the woods in the middle of the night, something dark was already going down. Yeah. I don't know what could have been going down, but that just doesn't spell a good story for me. And a baby. Yeah. I'm like, how could you even tell from a distance? Yeah. But he said a baby. Yeah. But it's also. That sounds a little hallucinatory. Yeah. It's it's totally possible. <laughs> um, well, he said he saw that and then a couple of hours pass and then he sees people out there with flashlights which is also strange because that also that would have been like a complete hallucination unless it was a third party because the boys did not have flashlights in their car like on that night. The only time they got flashlights was after they made it 19 miles away to the trailer 
and then they were like trying to go east and they had flashlights from the trailer. I'm still hung up on the trailer. I'm just amazed they found a trailer with supplies in the middle of the woods. Well, apparently there's a lot of them because that's what this guy Joseph found, too. He also made his way to like a service lodge that was eight miles away in the woods. So I think they just assumed like scattered throughout there are like <laughs> places. I When I was um stuck in the woods in Kentucky, we found a trailer <laughs> on foot. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and it had supplies? Uh, well, we didn't. I didn't go inside of it because we were just freaked okay. out and scared. But it, it was lit up because it's like a big. I mean, I don't know if these were lit up back in the seventies, but I think they're lit up all the time so that you can find them if you're lost in the woods or something. Because there's a big like neon sign on top of um, like a red cross, like medical, like first aid is here kind of thing. I thought it was wow. a crucifix in the middle of the woods, <laughs> so I was spiraling out hard. <laughs> was this was this the time you were with your sister? Yeah, when I almost flew off the cliff. That was easily the most stressed I've ever been. I almost threw up. I think I did throw up well, later that night. Well, it gives you context for this story. Oh, yeah. That's all think I can about think about. how heightened your, <laughs> your senses were. I, I Well, it's also – that's a really good point. It's really good you bring that up because I thought I was seeing things in the woods. How quickly your eyes start playing tricks on you and how fast your mind mm-hmm. goes when you're under intense stress. I really, really thought I was seeing things in the woods. So I can only imagine – what they must have been experiencing in addition to like the onset of hypothermia, they must have been losing it. That's, oh my gosh. Dark story. But it's a good one to cover because again, we still don't have all the answers and I don't know that we ever will because we'll really never know their cause of death for all of them. Because their remains were just too decomposed. Even Ted Wire. Ted Wire. When they found him. He was pretty badly decomposed, I think, as well. Um, But he still had some features of himself. I think it's assumed or they were able to loosely determine that he most likely died of starvation. Yeah. So he was probably the last, one of the last ones, I would imagine. That's what we're thinking. Unless Gary had suffered a similar fate. But Gary was not as heavy set as Ted. So I don't think it's possible ted or i don't think it's possible gary could have lived for two months without food Mm. lost 80 pounds that's so crazy but that is it Stu. that is the eerie and haunting unsolved story of the yuba county five any last thoughts before i I feel like we've talked about everything with this case but last thoughts before i close us out I was just going to say, Creepers, you did it again, because I know that's a case that you've been wanting Silas oh, yeah. to cover, oh, yeah. and I see why. Like, there's so many. It This definitely feels like a throwback to our earlier episodes yeah. of, like, the unsolved, like, disappearances, which I, like, am, I always love those. It's our bias, uh, baby. It's our home bias. It's our bias. <laughs> it's our home bias. Um, I know what you mean, though. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Creepers. Uh, yeah, that was... Oof, that that is definitely I, I forget exactly what your words were at the beginning of the podcast, but like this will sit in my in my gut for a little bit. It's yeah, the unknown of it. It's it's really what gets me every time. But I know what you mean. This is a throwback to our original cases because we we kind of get to like exercise our our sleuth radars here and like what we think might have happened. Is your final thought thinking that like what the latter theories were of Gary that maybe like he got paranoid and coaxed everybody into driving and then they ran? Or is it that they got lost and then ran or something else entirely? I feel like it's a combination of the two. Like, I really do mm. feel like Gary in some aspects was sort of the ringleader here. Like, I think that mm-hmm. 
there's definitely a world where he kind of was pushing it to the edge mm-hmm. and taking them to a place they might they maybe shouldn't have gone or he was starting to feel certain things and it dipped into something else um but i also think it was sort of just like partially informed by the series of unfortunate events and the environment like i i yeah. don't i don't fully think that like i guess you were saying in the 70s he got painted as this like kind of a mastermind plan yeah. to like take down his friends. I don't align with that really, but I align with a version of like, he was off. He had a, he was probably taking them down a path that was off. He started to have an off night and then it was just like, boom, boom, boom. Things started unfolding and it was wrong place, wrong time. Totally agree. And then maybe the moment that sunk the ship was the scream from the woods. That was the end where, <sighs> It just made everything so much worse. Yeah. Made it real. Yeah. Well, that is a sinister story for us. Creepers, we are going to be back next week with another case for you on a Friday. Thank you so much for sticking around and listening. This was a really good case to cover. I'm happy we we finally talked about the Yuba County Five. But with that, Stu, shall we say goodbye? Goodbye and TGIF. T- girl... <laughs> T-G-I-F. <laughs> Get me to a Friday. What did you say last time that messed me up? You go, take your time, honey. Take your time. Oh, my God. Take your time, honey. Creepers, if you're wandering around today, take your time, honey. Take your time, honey. <laughs> Bye, guys. Take your time. Bye, guys.